This is part two of our International Women's Day programmes. I'm Marlene Halliday. Valerie Gould and I are about to take you through our second set of women guests. We had so many guests accepting the invite to contribute to these programmes that we went from thinking we'd do one programme to it becoming two, and actually we've ended up with four programmes. We really appreciated all the positive comments you put on social media after part one yesterday morning and we hope you'll enjoy this part two just as much. So I'm just going to tell you about the women I interviewed for this programme and after I've done that, Al's going to tell you about her interviews. So we start this evening with Bree Smith, who's a many talented woman, political activist, radio producer, fashion designer, weaver. The next interview is with Caelan McMahon, who is the national convener of Young Scots for Independence. I first met Caelan almost exactly a year ago, just before she was elected to that position, and she's just been re-elected. Caelan's passionate about Scotland becoming an independent nation. She's also passionate about bringing everyone with us, which is the title of the track, and you'll hear her talking about that when you listen. The third person I interviewed for tonight's programme is Vivian Martin. Amongst other things, Vivian's been a teacher, librarian, museum worker and historical researcher. And she's a writer. She travelled widely through Eastern Europe and to many of the former Soviet states. She's a keen walker, a frequent visitor to the Highlands and Islands of Scotland and she writes regular articles for iScot and the Scottish Islands Explorer. With that background of librarian, teacher and historian, language is something that's really important to Vivian. And the track's called Language Matters. And my fourth interviewee for this evening is Ruth Wishart. Ruth is very well known and respected freelance columnist and broadcaster. She's pretty active on Twitter too. She talks a bit about how things have changed and moved forward for women, but maybe not moved forward enough. And we also touch on that possibility that things don't always move forward. Sometimes things go into reverse. I think it was at that point that Mrs Thatcher came into the conversation. And at the end of the interview, Ruth said how much she appreciates and respects the new generation of young women coming through into social and political activism, as she calls them, our feisty young women, which is the name of the track. Hello, my name's Valerie Gold, and I'm going to tell you about the other two interviews featured on today's second edition of our International Women's Day specials. Later on, you'll hear from Renee Slater, who is a community activist in Torrey in Aberdeen. After that, you'll hear from Rahana Abid, and Rahana is the former president and current outreach secretary of Lajna, which is the women's Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And they are having an event for International Women's Day tomorrow night, Sunday, the 7th of March, which Rahana will tell you all about during her interview. I hope you'll enjoy hearing from these two very different women. 
I'm sitting here and I'm sitting with Bree Smith. Thank you very much, Marlene. It's great to be here. It's, and it's lovely to be asked. If you Google Bree's uh, name, you get Bree Smith, radio producer. Um, you also you have your own audio stream on SoundCloud. You get Bree Smith, SNP candidate. You stood in local and parliamentary elections. The Open Times has an archive of your articles and elsewhere you describe yourself as fashion designer, culture and community activist and you're a dean of the Weavers of Glasgow, so basically a woman of many talents. When you got an email from us asking if you'd like to contribute to the the programme celebrating International Women's Day, what came to mind? Nice one. Nice start off there, Marlene. Yeah, <laughs> funny. <laughs> the very thing that came to mind, because for all of those things that, that you have named out, um, they're not necessarily in the order of preference. Find of the political bit came uh, 2013, 2014. And before that, I fashion designer. I would have a de- I've trained as a fashion designer. That's what I've done from when I was a child and it's in my background. And so when it came to the International Women's Day, I've been very fortunate that I've been at the Scottish Parliament for two of the events. And they're a great event. When you said to come along and talk about the Women's Day, the International Women's Day, it would be the textile background that I would have identified with oh. for this. And uh, I go, I go back, my goodness, right the way back to the time of Moses when it comes to fashion design, and I have seen throughout that um, women being exploited, and no change there. And one of the things that really concerns me about this pandemic is that we have seen the the erosion of the gender equality, and the pay gap, and the the economic well-being of women right across the globe and it was evidenced here in the in the United Kingdom when outbreaks of covid was hitting lancashire and areas where there are clothing factories and you know, let that not be missed by people and a lot of of um cheap fashion companies who turn around fashion at breakneck speeds use cheap labor and it will be females and those people carried on working and spreading the virus in their communities and i just feel that all of that there's a whole systemic thing there's a whole cultural change that has to come about if we are to seriously address um, women and to challenge um, what is going on in the world uh, with regards to, to to equalities. So that's my rant. So the first thing I thought about was, um, yeah, was was women and their place in the textile industry. Oh, I went onto the website of the the Glasgow of um, the Weavers of Glasgow, and uh, you know what struck me was uh, your motto. So you're a deacon in that. Uh, in 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 the weavers, and I noticed that the motto is "Weave trust truth. with truth." Mm. Oh, could we just pinch that, or could, will they let us use that? Because that struck me as being well. Obviously, I mean, I'm guessing it's a long-standing motto of of the of the of the weavers, but it just seems to be something that's so apt and needed uh, where we are the, uh, now. 
the tradition of the weavers in Glasgow and right across the globe is 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 a huge one. And their mottos, their ethos, their work ethic, and they have consistently fought for workers' rights and for better working conditions that cost lives um, in Glasgow very early on in, in the whole equalities campaign. So there's um yeah, and to weave trust, it like it is it is all of that. I find weaving projects and I love weaving because it connects the heart, the soul and soil. It's it's it just rises up through you if you start weaving in and then you get the rhythm of the loom. And um, there was a time that, that lots of weavers, there wouldn't be a village that didn't have some weaving and bales of bales of tweed sitting yeah. outside their house. And it was community. Yeah. And it, it, it crossed genders and 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 generations. Um, so I think, yes, I think we should look at more embrace of industry that respects, that respects the product as, as well as the person. Yes. Um, but it is a lovely motto. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's just it's just beautiful. So when when you went uh, over to Holyrood for those two International Women's Day events, what what tell us a bit about what that was like? What was the atmosphere like? Atmosphere was fantastic. Firstly, it, that was um, quite a few years ago when I went to the first one. So it was it was just surreal to walk into the Parliament Building and all women, like all women, and all women dress colourfully because you're used to these buildings as being um, suits dark suits very professional and the, because it, it's a it's a global event as well we had lots of nationalities lots of of different coloured um, costumes and everybody dressed up and out to enjoy themselves and the, lots of talks and um, and then superb lunch in 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 the foyer part of the of the of the building, and it was just it was just so different to see women dressed as women, and I mean I mean that in a colourful sense, you know me my high heel shoes. I, I, I was just about to mention high heeled shoes. <laughs> there was no having to apologise. There was no having to explain. You were just in your in where you should be because it was for you, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just hard to explain. And that there was no um, no co- competitive edge to anything. Everybody was there to talk about women and to talk about empowering women. And we heard from young women. We heard from various people throughout the world who are engaging in projects, bigging us up, you know, and saying how great we are. And in a, a place of authority, in a place of government filled with colour it was it was really I would suggest to anybody the tickets are very limited and you have to get into a queue for them but 300 odd women yes great. all tipping in to the parliament to talk yeah. about women yeah more more generally do you think the Scottish parliament's doing a decent enough job at encouraging women to come forward and I mean we, we're not quite a, we're not at 50-50 in terms of MSPs I think it's about 40% women um which is better than a lot of parliaments um, so we've obviously got a wee bit to go but are you, are you, are you kind of you know think it's doing a, a decent enough job we've got it it is but but we have to recognise that we are losing young women um, in May of this year who are standing down. You, um, there's a young woman from the Labour. We've got, uh, I think, two leaving from um, SNP because they've got young families. And and these are good, these are good um, ministers. So then you've got to ask yourself, you know, are we just moving women into what is not even working for family men, let alone for, for women? 
so I it, that I would I would always because it's like any employer and anybody who runs runs a company and you lose lose good staff, you have to think to yourself there's yes. some there's something not right here. Exactly. I mean, I I did wonder, and I I knew about that that was happening, and I did wonder if maybe the arrangements that they have put in place for the Parliament during the pandemic, where they don't need to go to Edinburgh, they can be at home and they can join in the debates remotely. I did wonder if maybe that might have persuaded people to uh, carry on. I think I think what we have learned from the pandemic that we don't all have to be in the one location. The whole political arena doesn't even suit family men. So I think it's not, it's, it's a women's issue. It's a family issue. And one of the girls, like we're, we're losing three young women, and, and they were saying that if you belong to a political party, that then come the weekends, you are invariably out canvassing, campaigning, door knocking. Um, so it's a seven day a week. Um, so that's got more to do with how our politics, um, how our politics are run. I would say start handing down as quickly as possible more powers, real powers, with the money to to um, to local communities and bring the government a lot more local. Our local authorities are huge, and our councillors are run ragged. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so devolve the powers, get it as near to the communities, so that young women, mothers, grandmothers, all of those people can make the decisions sitting in their armchairs and decide what buses they want, how the money is to be spent, what health service they, they need. Um, so, yeah, get it devolved down to a more local level, more manageable chunks. Yes, it yeah. would, it's an interesting, it would be an interesting uh, advantage to gain, wouldn't it? I mean, I think there's lots of advantage to gain by having smaller local councils because as you say Breeze, they're huge compared with some countries they're absolutely huge but if as well as maybe being more in touch with local issues and more efficient it also brought a different kind of person I mean men and women but a, a different kind of um, person maybe at a different stage of life and if that, if that encourages women that's that would be a, a, a very good outcome from that so more widely, do you think, are you optimistic about, you know, where women are in the world today? I mean, obviously the pandemic is having a big impact, but, you know, gen- more generally. I, I suppose what, what I get, what I get um, incensed about, I find it obscene that in 2020 we are still talking in a civilised country about equality. We had a women's list, and there's been a lot of there's been a lot of effort made to to have women's lists and to 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 the gender balance. Um, in the the constituency that I stood in, Argyll and Butte, we had a women's list. We had four hostings, all four hostings, all four hostings chaired by men. Oh. Do you know what what annoys me? I suppose and my husband has says he takes out a big notebook when I say that. <laughs> what annoys me? Um, <laughs> so, is that the men saw nothing wrong with that? Fuck! G- g- give us a break here, you know. Like when they looked at the, when they looked at all four guys, all chairing hostings, they're not on an all woman's list. Did not one of them think, "Fuck, you know, would we not have two women?" I think they asked one woman, and the one woman couldn't make it. So ergo, we had four men. And so when I see things like that, I think we are paying lip service to equality. When I see us clapping for carers or hitting a pot or a pan, I think, really, is this 
as far as we go with equality. And then when you start challenging it, um, it's, you know, it, it sounds as if you're a radical feminist instead of just a normal human being trying to get representation. So I, I'm going to try and be positive here, but I'm struggling. I'm struggling. <laughs> Do you think from the men's point of view, they might have been thinking, well, I mean, there's four women on the hustings. We'll have to get a man on the stage somewhere. No, Marlene, they didn't okay. think. They didn't think. They, they were asked. Think. They were asked and they thought, of course, they didn't think. They didn't look. They didn't consider because it doesn't matter to them. I, I hate to be so blunt, but that is the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they support equalities, but they don't think about it. And, and and the women are we are guilty of the same because uh, because even me, I you know if you see a guy coming in he's got a suit and he's got all these credentials and he's had huge big salaries you think well he must be good, and you see a woman coming in she's raised children she's done thing you think, Phew. you know it's just we've been conditioned it is the un- unconscious bias, and um, but I just thought you know unless the men start fighting for equalities, we 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 are we've got an uphill struggle. You know, and unless they move aside a wee bit, you know, make a wee space there. But no, I'll occupy the whole big chair myself. <laughs> because of my background in the textile industry, I've worked in factories from China, uh, New York, Dublin, UK. And you're working with honest to God women who work for a living, who have got no privileges, they don't have any backup services, their family will be their childminders because the you know, on, on the shop floor, the, the salaries and they're all the salaries are low, but they're all gutsy women, full of life's experiences and life's richness. And they, I would imagine, have pretty well thought that they are being forgotten about. Because our quest for cheaper products, our quest for throwaway industry, um it, 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 that's who will have to make these garments sacrifice their safety and sacrifice their family's um, security. So I just feel, I always feel that when we're talking about um, women's rights and women's equalities, there seems to be an upper level that this will happen on, but that it won't, it won't trickle down, not in a long time. I think they're talking yeah. about 100 years before there is global equality. Yeah. 100 years, yeah. you know, across the globe when we can see other women having the same life experiences, having the same health and social care facilities. So we have to be aware, we have our sisters across the globe to look after and if we're wearing our four inch heels and we've only paid a pound or two pound for them, our sisters somewhere else are suffering as a consequence. We probably have to uh, wrap up soon, Breeze. It's been great talking to you. Any last thing you'd like to say? think so that we can hit on a high Marlon. Um, <laughs> one of the things the pandemic has shown is the resilience, no, I shouldn't say resilience because I don't like that word so much, but how families, how women have stepped up to the mark and they have given up their jobs in certain cases to do the homeschooling. It has certainly been women who've been pretty much to the forefront when it comes, comes to the caring in the community and the caring sector and I would like to think that an importance will be placed now on their place in society, their real place in the community and how unless we have good women who can do their jobs 
and how important they are to keep just the smallest thing, just the food on your table, just the, the plaster on your wound, you know, the, the, somebody to embrace you if you're if you're 90 or something, isolation. It, it, women have stepped up to the mark. So I'm hoping that there is a big recognition for that because I think we've all now certainly appreciated that they have made the sacrifices. And I would like to think the government are listening and that are, and I think they are, and that we'll start recognising that we need to empower them to do more of what they're very, very good at. That's great. That's a great, that's a great way to finish off. And once again, yeah, just thanks so much for uh, coming along and chatting to us. So you were listening to an interview with Breed Smith, who is a designer and is well aware of the difficult working conditions for women in many countries who work in the textile industry. It's another day, it's another Zoom meeting, and it's another guest for our special programme to celebrate International Women's Day. I'm sitting here with Caelan McMahon. I've talked to Kaylin before, actually almost a, a, just over a year ago, and at that point you were standing for the position as national convener of Young Scots for Independence. You got elected uh, for that, so I'm taking it you've just been re-elected, I think, is that right? Yeah, so the YSI had our conference last weekend, um, and we actually had almost 100 young people on a Zoom meeting, um, and it was a whole day of kind of debating policies and what we would want to push forward um, through the party and then you know through the, the movement more widely um, and kind of champion that on our way to independence as well as policies we want to see after independence and then of course we elect our new national executive committee so myself and Charlotte who you spoke to last year yeah. as well were re-elected so we're really looking forward to getting stuck in again. It was far ideas to do this program, and I, in my mind, I thought, oh, International Women's Day. It was probably something that started in the 1970s or around about then. But actually, it it was started in 1911. Coincide, oh wow! Yeah, 110 years ago, and and uh, not the same, but coinciding with the suffragette movement in the UK. So I just wondered, is is International Women's Day something you're particularly aware of? I mean, when we emailed you, what what things came to mind to talk about? Oh, do you know, honestly, International Women's Day is genuinely one of my favourite days of the year. I don't know if it's a generational thing and it's kind of become um, all seeing all my friends every year um, post pictures of all the women in their lives and all the women that they look up to and just kind of, it's a day of taking a step back to just appreciate you know all the hard work that all the women in your life go through um so for me it's a lot more about that than kind of idolizing um certain women as much as that's you know it's important to have people that uh, you look up to um but for me it's just a day for recapping and taking not taking for granted how much of an inspiration the women around you are especially for you know young women being involved in politics i mean we all know politics can get tough so i think it's really really important that we mark international women's day to just kind of appreciate the women around us you know yeah yeah well that's interesting because that's very much the same initial uh, responses that we've had from others of our guests um, some of whom are a lot older than you you know like maybe 50 years older and and it's the same thing they're thinking back to the women in their life who made a difference who got them to think a bit differently or took risks um what what about from the point of view of encouraging women your generation to get involved in politics because 
you know, my generation and well, there's a generation between you and me, but uh, you know, there's a there was still a bit of a reluctance maybe to kind of step in, and you know, I'm aware that there's a, I think three women MSPs who are stepping back from from Holyrood, and it is partly you know the kind of complications and complexities around doing jobs like that and having families at home and I suppose that's always one of the kind of um wouldn't say obstacles but factors that women have to deal with and maybe it does make them more reluctant to step in have you got any thoughts about that yeah I do think there's a real problem and as you say you know we've got <clears throat> a couple of a few MSPs standing down um because politics is just so inaccessible um and there is a hundred percent um work to do so I think that um, using International Women's Day uh, to also remember how far we have to go as well um, yeah. and you know not even just at politics I mean we do we need more women at, at the top of government but also at the top of business um, and film and TV yeah. and music it just kind of beats women being seen in society as well as um, you know being active members so you know a, a fact that I actually learned not that long ago is that only four percent of Scotland's businesses have a female CEO so you know in a country we would say we do quite well on gender equality we have a lot of really progressive policies when it comes to gender equality within SNP government but 4% in Scotland of female CEOs so I think this this really should not be a fact in in 2021 Um, so I think in all walks of life we need more women to to set an example for women who come after us I mean I'm pretty sure I've said this exact line on the show when I came on last year because it is (laughs) everything that I stand by but I, I really do believe that as much as as awful as politics can be um, and it takes a really really strong person especially a strong woman to stay involved in politics and move past all of that but if we all face that uphill battle now we're not only doing it for ourselves but the generation of women who come after us um, so I think who, the, the, they'll be empowered and it'll be the norm to see women who they can aspire to. So I do think, you know, the change starts with us and it will be a kind of grueling battle, but I do think it'll yeah, absolutely be yeah. worth it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was hoping that, you know, one one thing, positive thing that might come out of the whole coronavirus pandemic is that, well, Holyrood, and, but also House of Commons has, has had to adapt to allow people to to be take part in debates and be there, be an active member, but not be in the chamber, be at home. And I I was really hoping. Well, I am really hoping that some of that gets retained, even when we get back to a little bit more normal. So that well, it might make it easier for for uh, well, it might make it easier for those three women we were talking about. But actually, it's not just women. It's not very family friendly for men either. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's a really important point that working from home has meant that, you know, in for, for straight relationships that men can also take part in the childcare of all working from home. So I think it'll actually really help going back to to, to normal, quote unquote, whatever normal will be, um, that it's become more normalised for you know, both parents to be at home and, you know, taking part in all of that. So I think fingers crossed that'll that'll stick um and as well especially you know house commons is so outdated um so hopefully the kind of the remote participation and remote voting does stay stay permanent yes yeah well hopefully that's the case i mean i i was i was talking i was talking to, to a guest yesterday and we were both saying so even we're both saying well 
when we look at House of Commons now, it is remarkable just how many women are there. Because, I mean, the first time I voted was 1968, 69, would have been 18, 19, something like that. And... I mean, I think Barbara Castle was there, but there was maybe one or two women just dotted around that kind of, um, well, it's a bit like a bear pit sometimes, full of men. I mean, at least these days you look around and, and it's noticeable. It's not 50-50 it's not or anything like it, but it but it does make a difference. And it's the same in Holyrood. It's, um, I mean, someone said, uh, I heard someone saying recently in, a, in one of these interviews, if you can see it, you can be it. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that's so, so true. And, you know, as you're saying, there's there's still work to be done. So I think that's what International Women's Day is so good for, is celebrating how far we've come. Because sometimes you do need a wee break from constantly being, you know, climbing that uphill battle and fighting the fight all the time and appreciating how far we have come, but also recognising that there is still so far to go. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you talk about fighting the fight. Does it feel like that? to you to yourself and your own experience I think I think there's so much more that I think for me intersectionality is, is the, the really the big buzzword at the moment the most important thing um, because you know there's so many things that I have to learn as well um, as, a, as a white woman as a cis woman whatever else for groups that I'm not a part of but I think that kind of solidarity in minorities and, and taking part in politics um, and just kind of ensuring that our movement is as inclusive as it can be and pushing it forward um, is the most important aspect. Mm. So I wouldn't say it's a fight. I would say that our movement prides itself in being welcoming and in being inclusive. Um, but, I mean, you'll know yourself, there are things that women go through on a daily basis that, that men just don't. So they don't, it's not recognised. And so it's trying to communicate that in a way that's constructive, um, in a way that means you get to keep your seat around the table once you've got it. Um, but yeah, I think it's just making sure that we bring absolutely everyone with us. That's even more important in a yeah. movement like the independence movement. Um, exactly. Yeah. Try and make sure you know we make that we can show that the society we're trying to create is as inclusive as possible. Not only so that wins us as many votes, but I would hope because that's the principle that we all do genuinely believe in. So it's just about educating each other um, on all the kind of lived experiences. Can you just say what intersectionality is, Caleb, just in case it's a word that not everyone listening might be familiar with? Yeah, that's not. So intersectionality is a term that just means that, you know, it's essentially what I just described there. If there's there's things that the BAME community will experience, that the LGBT community will experience, that the disabled community will experience, that I don't necessarily go yeah. through because I am not members of those community. And so it's not about, you know, weighting one against the other or trying to prioritise them, but it's acknowledging that there are different realms and different experiences where certain groups will have different levels of advantage over the other um, and just making sure that you know all are represented respectively and that all are respected you know full stop um, and everyone is able to you know live a life free of discrimination and of prejudice um, so I intersectionality essentially is um, factoring in different communities so yeah. saying that you know black women will experience far more misogyny from a racism combined than I will as a white woman for example um, so it's essentially about bringing everybody with us. So it's not saying that you know you can rank it you know one two three four no. who's the most oppressed it's, it's acknowledging that 
you know, so say for if you want, to, you know, say for example, you're saying um, you know things that white women will experience that you know BAME women won't necessarily. So it's how you were saying about um, that we have far more women in uh, Parliament and especially in Hollywood, but we now have hopefully we have co-cab stewart who will become the first bame woman msp so we do have to ask ourselves why are we managing to elect women but when we are electing women they are only white yeah, women yeah, yeah so exactly. it's about kind yeah. of acknowledging the nuances in life and in yeah. these conversations and making sure that, that absolutely everyone is brought with us kaylin thanks so much for taking time to come and talk to us. It's been really great having you and having your contribution to the International Women's Day programme and there's quite a few topics that we touched on there that maybe we'll ask you back and talk about them in a bit more detail another time but thanks again. That was Caelan McMahon, National Convener of Young Scots for Independence, who's done a tremendous amount to encourage other young women and girls to become involved in politics. This is Marlene again. I'm, uh, I'm sitting with uh, Vivian Martin. Well, we're not really in the same room, of course, but we're in the same Zoom call. So appreciative of you agreeing to uh, be part of the programme, Vivian. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know you grew up in Glasgow, went over to Edinburgh for to go to university, and yep. you know, amongst other things, you've worked as a teacher, uh, museums, um, librarian, historical researcher, and uh, I also know you. At, at a certain point, you were travelling widely, widely mm-hmm. through Eastern Europe, many mm-hmm. of the former Soviet states, which got me thinking actually, because whatever faults uh, uh, the Soviet Union had, they, they certainly did a good bit to try and, you know, push back against women's stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there you go, and you get an email from us asking if you'd like to contribute to a programme celebrating International Women's Day. What came to mind? Well, uh, the first response was actually shock and terror. <laughs> but after that, I, I, the, one of the first things that came to mind is actually the women in my own family. And I am very fortunate that I grew up with and knowing some very, very strong women. My, my grandmother from Aberdeenshire was came from a, a poor, humble background, but was very intelligent, got a bursary and went to university. And this was right back in uh, the beginning of the 20th century. Wow. So, you know, a woman who was even then pushing against the boundaries to be accepted as uh, an intelligent, capable human being. And that was something that she kept us all thinking about, not necessarily overtly, but she was formidable, shall we say. And she was part of a group of women, a lot of these women, you know, at university for the first time, who who were formidable. Many of them went on to become um, eminent psychologists, you know, in in the field of nursing um, and really pushed the door open. Yeah. For, for, for other women coming along behind. There was one funny story that I do remember my grandmother telling me was that in those days and up until actually not all that long ago, if you got married, you had to stop working. Women, it was yeah. expected. You got married, you left teaching, you left whatever you were doing. Yeah. And I remember my grandmother telling me that there was a group of them there at university and they decided that they didn't want to waste this. So they made a pact and said they wouldn't get married 
um, because they wanted to use this opportunity and they wanted to do something with their lives, even if it meant not getting married. And my grandmother did say that she said yes and agreed to this, but with her fingers almost slightly crossed behind her back because she had met a young man at university and shortly afterwards they got married. But she then taught during the war because they needed teachers. But it, it didn't detract, I don't think, from what those women did in the field of education and all its wider ramifications. And she really encouraged us to to think and to question. And I think that's one of the mm. most important things you can hand on to your children and your grandchildren yeah, that, yeah. you know, don't just accept what you're told. Don't just take things for granted, but actually question and push and do what you feel you, you have to do. Um, my own mother stood in local politics in Edinburgh and was very involved in local issues. Uh, again, it was she was a politics teacher or a modern studies and economics teacher. But again, this idea that you you ha you have to push. Don't be you, don't be complacent. Um, you know, doors aren't going to open for you. You're going to actually have to do something. And I think that's on International Women's Day. That is so important because yeah. women have had to struggle for the word to go. There's absolutely no doubt about it. You know, those with power and influence don't just give you what you would like to have. We really we know that. We know that regarding independence. You know, you have to make your case and you have to have to push for it. So and then the other person that I, I think is a wonderful example is my now 98-year-old great aunt who had her first novel published oh. last year completed at the age of 97 and published and you know that's fantastic that it the, the creativity that keeps your mind going um is a wonderful thing and she's put that to good use and that's been it was an inspiration to I know to a lot of people it's you know it's never too late and never say no and I think you know these women in my life have been a good example of yeah it's never too late and keep asking questions and keep you know pushing at those doors and keep women in mind yes yeah i mean it's a good phrase to associate with the whole kind of celebration isn't it just push it those doors and mm -hmm. and maybe also you know push it those glass ceilings uh, yeah, uh yeah. as well i mean I, that's a lovely wee story about your your, your gran um <laughs> you know you know when I went, I, I went for a job at uh, uh, Glasgow University, and when was it? Mid seventies. Professor who was interviewing me, we chatted away, and we seemed to get on, mm -hmm. and and then just at the end, he said, uh, "Oh, and by the way, you, you, you're not thinking of having any children soon, are mm. you?" That kind of question now, um, you you know, but with all the kind of guidelines they have for fair interviewing of um, mm -hmm. people, you know, across all sorts of diverse groups of mm -hmm. the population, mm -hmm. that would be, you know, a ga people would be aghast if they said that. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I mean, we have in an awful lot of ways moved on tremendously. I, when my mum was first working and she was a teacher, secondary teacher, um, but she had to get my father's permission to get a checkbook for her own salary. Now, you look back and think that is astonishing. And I remember back in the, it would be the sort of 70s, uh, applying for a job. And at that point, the word Ms was just coming in. Uh -huh. 
and my father said, oh, don't put Ms. Down in your application form because they'll think you're a feminist and they won't give you the job. You know, <laughs> Even tiny things like that that you wouldn't bat an eyelid at now. And again, another almost like a little funny story. When I was at school, we had to address the envelopes for our report cards to the head of the household. And I mm. filled in with my mum's name. And I was taken aside by the teacher, said, oh, we're so sorry, has your father died? And I'm going, no, I don't think so. <laughs> But you've put your mother's yeah. name down as the head of the yeah. house. I said, well, she's the one who will actually read my report card. She's yeah. the one I you know, yeah. will talk to. So that all these little things that seem kind of funny now were obstacles that had to be, you know, overcome and, and, and pushed away. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the currently one of the most important things to me is is language. And I firmly believe that language matters and this is why I feel that women are in a, a difficult position at the moment we are making progress in so many ways but the way the debate at the moment over using even the word woman as an adult human female which to me and to people before me and others around me is absolutely straightforward and sensible and yet, in the maternity allowances bill that's going through Westminster, somebody pointed out that the word she, her and women is not used once in the bill. Now, that that worries me. Um, and I listened to three people. It was the House of Lords putting up the amendment. And Sheila Noakes said, woman is not an illegal word but it's not in these bills. It's you, you, You'll be aware of all the, the stooshy yeah. over the hate crime bill in Scotland. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the things that I think it was Claire Fox in the, said um, was, you know, I'm a woman. She said, I'm not a chest feeder. I'm not a uterus holder. I'm not a cis woman. I am a woman. And this is International Women's Day we're talking about. She said, I'm a woman erase the word and we risk erasing the struggle for women's rights that has got us here and language is so important you mentioned I went to Eastern Europe quite a lot and the way language I speak German the way language is used differently between East Germany and West Germany and Mm. you began to see that words are extremely powerful and we lose them or we abuse them at our peril and for me, in my opinion, at the moment, there's a shift in language that is to the detriment of women. And that does worry me that we the word woman is being taken out of healthcare, out of legislation, um, out of daily conversation at times. So that women have come very far and our forebears have pushed the door. But we're, we're, I think we're coming up against other doors and other barriers yeah. that need a lot of careful work yeah. so that we don't lose what is gone um, I don't know, again you've probably seen that in the last week three women's aid centres have lost their funding and they've lost their funding apparently because of equality issues but because they were focusing on women. Now women's aid to me should be primarily about women because women are the ones that suffer the the worst of the abuse, they are the ones with the small children and yet three women's aid centres, one in Monklands, one down in Brighton, and I've forgotten where the third one is, are losing funding because they're deemed not to be inclusive enough. Now, this is where language is such a huge issue, that if women can't provide support and refuges for women in need, and it's the women that are being 
abused, raped and murdered, then we're losing the language, we're losing what women means. And like a Sheila Noakes or Claire Fox said, you know, we're, we're, we risk losing so much that we've fought for in the past. Um, and another yeah. issue that I do find very worrying is the whole sports issue that women, particularly in America, who are getting a sports scholarship for poor black people, for poor white people, is terribly important that with the women are being pushed out of that. And I mean, in one state in Connecticut, there's, you know, 15 title sh championship titles for women and 11 of them are currently held by biological males. You know, we're, we women, I feel, have a whole new issue to, def yeah. to define yeah. and move into. But because of the cancel culture, because of the, you know, the abuse, the, the, the you know, you're called a turf, a bigot, whatever. But women have rights and we actually need to fight for those rights. Um, and I think this it is a frightening issue we're in. And it's one thing to say, yes, women are moving forward. That's great. But, and it's a huge but, there's an awful lot going on that isn't so good. Um, and... It's, I think it's up to us to actually speak out about it. I was talking to one of our other guests just earlier this morning and she was making mm -hmm. the point that each generation, you know, and hopefully each generation of uh, women, but I mean also men, you know, can build on mm -hmm. from the previous generation. But she also said she thinks that each generation meets its own issues or you know, to put it at how you've been you've been speaking just now, f finds that there's a door that they've got to push through, and it wasn't a door that even existed for their yeah. mothers or their grannies. Absolutely. Um, or or it's or as in this case, it's somebody else's door, mm -hmm. and and we're going. Well, can we talk about this? You yes. Know, it's it's mm -hmm. we need a nuanced discussion about mm -hmm. this. That's what I find upsetting about the whole business about uh, the use of um, women. Um, I, I find what I find upsetting is is it seems to be almost impossible to have a discussion about it yes. because it's not mm -hmm. about if you're against or you have doubts about one kind of direction. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. to say you're trying to. Uh, mm -hmm. disqualify people from um, you know living their life the way they want to but just not at the expense of, of, yeah. of other of other people absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. I mean I, I was the, noticed something again in social media it was a tribute to Magdalene Burns who was a, a feminist and who helped set up a I think it was for women Scott dot Scott and she's one of the things she said it's not hate to defend your rights and it's not hate to speak the truth mm. and I find that very powerful that yeah. um, you know women have rights those rights that there will always be people trying to undermine them in all sorts of different like you say different ways I mean the, I, I actually said to my husband this morning if my grandmother was still alive and saw some of the things that are being said about women and some of the abuse and things she just would not believe it because it was a different kind of fight back yes. then you know? yes. and as you say each generation faces new challenges um, but and we have to rise to them, even though it is scary at times, because sometimes the abuse you see on social media and other places, it really is quite terrifying. It really is, you know. Yeah. Um, Indeed. 
Yeah. Well, just and just going back to one thing you said earlier about travelling again in Eastern Europe, mm. and we were, went down to what was then Soviet Central Asia, and that was a time actually for women things did get better. Uh, and a lot of these, the stands, you know, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, yeah. because uh, they, they were they were given the doors were open for education, for learning to drive, for all sorts of things, um, and people would, you know, rightly criticise the Soviet Union and the communist system for the terrible things it did. But and again, there's always a but. <laughs> um, <laughs> nothing's totally black and white, um, but it did bring better things for women. And they appreciated it. And then a lot of that has gone back, as we know from what's happening in Iran and Iraq and a lot of other places that a lot of women are actually losing rights um, over there that they had once. So, yeah, it's it, it's not something it's like democracy. Yes. You know, it needs to be defended yes. over and over again. Yes, you you can't take it for you can't take any of those improvements for granted because it's Absolutely always not. possible mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to slide back. That's the thing always to bear in mind, isn't it? Also kind of, you know, carry on pushing against the doors and rejoicing in in what women achieve and also mm-hmm. kind of remembering that come up behind you and take you by yeah. surprise sometimes. <laughs> It's just been really fascinating um, talking to you. And uh, again, I was saying to one of our other guests, I suspect that maybe what will come out of this program on, you know, it's, it's a series of short interviews, is mm-hmm. that we'll probably be recontacting people saying, can we can we just talk to you and go into that whole um, uh-huh. issue, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a bit further? Because it, mm-hmm. it's just throwing up lots of really fascinating topics to, to continue. Mm-hmm. So... Thank you again, Vivian. Thanks for agreeing to come. You're most welcome. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm looking forward to hearing what everybody else has to say as well. (laughs) Thank you very much. Ellen Reddy, the Australian-American singer. She's quoted as saying that she was looking for songs to record which reflected the positive self-image she had gained from joining the women's movement, but could not find any. So she realised that the song she was looking for didn't exist and she was going to have to write it herself. I Am Woman, recorded and released in May 1972 by Helen Reddy. And it will be followed by a poem, We Are Women, Hear Us Roar, where Helen Reddy is mentioned in the introduction by Lynn Dugan from Clark's Women for Independence. Poem written by myself, Lynn Dugan for International Women's Day 2021 with a wee nod to Helen Reddy. I am woman, hear me roar. I play football, see me score. Create opportunities, open doors. Dismiss less, demand more. Teachers, lawyers, nurses, doctors. Choose your career, be an engineer. Plumbers, pilots, architects, mechanics. More than you thought, We're astronauts, web designers, analysts, IT technicians. Lighten your load, because we can write code. Professors, explorers, inventors, researchers. Need a revolution? We're your solution. Artists, sculptors, dancers, musicians. Entertainment to satiate? We will create. Journalists, authors, playwrights, poets. If it's words you desire... We will inspire. We are women. Hear us roar. Dismiss less. Demand more.
Time for us now to raise a glass to great women of the future, present and past. My next guest is Renee Slater. And Renee, Hiya. lovely to see you today. So Renee is from Torrey in Aberdeen. And she is, for many years, she's been a community activist and involved with a series of all sorts of really important community projects. Um, but Renee, I think it would be true to say that you first came to fame with an incident in 2013 which was rather dramatic and very interesting and that was when you were actually, I believe, arrested. Yes. Well, tell us about that. That was about, is it Helena or Helena Torrey? Tell well, Helena, Helena Torrey. It's basically based around Helena Troy and we used that sort of background to, to rename Helena Torrey. And obviously she was a local woman, made her a local woman as well to give her a local focus. Um, but in fact, it started in 2012. Um, Helena was a, um, an activist during the campaign to retain Union Terrace Gardens. And it was really the, the focus was on Union Terrace Gardens time when she got involved. And she got involved in, in uh, she was on the streets basically, being, and she got her own skateboard. <laughs> so... Right. Clarify, Irene, for anybody listening, that Helena is not a real person. She was a mannequin, wasn't she? She was a mannequin, yes. Uh -huh. uh, lovely mannequin, him who I got from uh, from Aberdeen Art Gallery. They were sort of getting rid of all her stuff, and I claimed Helena because she was she was she looked like she could have been an activist, <laughs> um, and uh, so she'd been involved in lots of. Of, of statements uh, throughout, throughout the years, 2012. She first got involved during the uh, campaign for to retain the Unit Gardens, as I said earlier. Was um, that successful? Was that a successful campaign? Well, it was to some extent because what happened was that the new council came in and, and cancelled the Ian Woodbridge proposal. It took a bit of a fight for really. the and we were concerned that the, the Peacocks, which the Peacocks uh, project, an arts project in Aberdeen, had already put money down uh -huh. for a campaign, for, for a, and they weren't going to tear up any of the trees and we were going to leave things fairly much as they were, but make it into an art, a local, so people can go in, ordinary people can go in by uh -huh. uh, and sit about locally and they're going to put in lifts and all sorts of stuff there. And then as soon as Ian Wood came in by, with his fifty million pounds or whatever it was, the council at that time just dropped the peacock one and went off it's after the. It's a beautiful a public park union. It is, park, yeah. It? Well, the city council now has just torn it apart again. Oh. Helena then made her first appearance. Then <laughs> the most famous one, I think, as I say, was when she when you put her forward as a candidate for the a candidate. Yeah, and, well, that was. You were arrested under the Representation of the People Act, is that correct? Yeah, well, but about why she was up for election was quite interesting because she, I put her up in, for election in the seat where Ian Wood stayed. Ah, right. And that was why she went up for election. She went up, she went to basically Ruby's Law end of, of town, which is the west end of town, with her. Well, why don't I just stick it into there? There's another voice about who is who controls what's ha what happens. I mean, ordinary people have no say in what happens, and we want to, but we sort of fight back in some way. 
So the idea was to use her. But use her, she had her own slogan, which was the voice of the silent majority, which was quite important, we thought, because there's lots of things. When we were putting up all this money for Union Terrace Gardens, there was lots of thing, things being cut back, like stuff for disabled people, stuff for youth projects. was all being Why didn't the money go there and rather than go to Union Terrace Gardens? So Helena became a voice for that type of thing. So, so that's why it became a local issue. So it was a, a clever ploy using this slightly eccentric stunt to draw attention to impo- really important issues that matter yeah. to you. To give a voice to, to people who basically who were voiceless, who weren't given any, the young people weren't given it, kids all under 18s obviously couldn't, weren't allowed to vote. But I was working, I was doing youth work during that period, and I was also the, oh, in fact, for years prior to that, doing youth work. Um, so knowing what the background to youth work was, I knew, in fact, that people didn't have much of a voice at that stage. And also for people who were disabled, the disability projects were being closed down. The whole process of their voice wasn't being heard either. So we just, I used Helena really to make a voice for that type of background. To give a voice to, to yes. young people, to the voiceless, to the silent majority, to give a voice to the, the young people. And yeah, the people. because she couldn't speak either. <laughs> and that's why she and became... So, you, but you must have been quite frightened. I mean, especially if you were employed by, you know, the pu- the public authority. You must yeah. Have been a bit worried that that would maybe threaten your employment, or. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't. I just retired within within six months of of ah, of. Okay. Uh, I was okay, but no, I wasn't frightened at all because um, I'd been involved so many in so many things before anyway. So I was never frightened about it. It was. And that, in fact, I saw it great fun. Did you expect to be arrested, or was that? I expected something to happen. My problem, in fact, I didn't expect it as quickly as it did, as it happened. <laughs> Going to happen within three or four days. But you were acquitted. I was acquitted, yes, because they well, it wasn't because they got they got their the. It was illegal. It wasn't illegal. It was illegal. But they got the law wrong. They got the wording of the law wrong. Then and they charged me under an English law rather than a Scottish law. Ah, so you got off on a technicality. Technicality, yes. <laughs> Better get six months in jail. You, you mentioned there, you know, that you've always been an activist. Yes, I have. So, so that this theme <laughs> of Women International Women's Day choose to challenge. That was one of the reasons that you came to mind because I know from a, you know looking at some of the stuff that you've been involved in over the years that you seem to sum that up. So you, yes, that something you've always done throughout your life. Yeah, going back, um, I moved to London in the late sixties, and I was involved in the Vietnam march and things on all that as well. And I was involved in the march for Czechoslovakia, and I got involved in my politics then, really. And also got involved, and then the local part of that was me getting involved in squatting. Um, and I get, and because of the homelessness situation, many of us did. And many of us, believe it or not, at the end of that period of squatting, moved to Aberdeen. All right. From London, and there's still a few of us here. 
who were involved in that. So uh, that must have been a very exciting time <clears throat> involved in protest during the protest against the Vietnam War. Absolutely, because there's so much, and the music at that time is brilliant. That's why I love people like Janet Joplin, because there's that, there's a political element to the music that stage as well, which I just loved it, and became part, became part of her life. Yeah. Uh, and the, the politics and the music were all linked together. That's true. And I mean, it was a very powerful, the power of music to influence people and political movements was very strong in the 60s, wasn't it? Absolutely. And and you look at what what happens in Woodstock and all that as well. That was all part of the political movement, actually. So we were all involved in that. And for in the Scottish part, that was a local issue because we were working with local community groups, homeless people within the community. Mm-hmm. So we'd set up things like squatters associations to help people get housing again, and we would then put, help get get them food and get them welfare and all sorts of stuff that was happening. We had little offices working with people, people with backgrounds, and we'd try and bring in full time, try to raise money to to bring in full time workers and like that as well, which the local authority and other government were, were doing at all. And this was in London, or was this in Aberdeen? This is in London. In London. <coughs> when I came to Aberdeen, we get involved in a squatter campaign in, in Aberdeen as well. In recent years, in, in Tory, you've been involved in a series of campaigns and petitions to save local parks, yes. to set up community pubs. You really have been very active in your local community. Locally, absolutely, yes. <laughs> And also, again, the whole thing about the, the big campaign just now, which I, although started off, there's a whole group of people involved now, which, and my 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 part in that, in fact, is quite small, although I'm very much involved in it. There's people who, are, who have got background in environmental issues and studies and all sorts that we're all involved in, so it's quite high profile for a lot of people. Um, but it was set. I when I saw what was happening, I said, "I'm going to find out about this." And when I found out that they're going to try and develop an ATZ, which is a, an energy transition zone within a, within a, a, next to the new harbour in Torrey, a bit more about it. And I found out they're really just going to build the plonk a big industrial site right on our lovely little bit of last piece of green space we have in Torrey. So I set up a Facebook page for that. And the amount of people who get involved is just unbelievable. From from across the board, from people environmental, as I said as well, right down to people like myself who are just ordinary people who just want to see something happening and don't want to give up the last bit of green space. So it's going quite well, and it's involved in climate action and all sorts of stuff just there. So they're very much, very much a local thing, which is actually taking on wings of its own. Works for change yourself, but you act as a kind of, um, like a sort of catalyst to to bring other uh, people. Yes, absolutely. If I'm working with the community, the community has got to take control of it and got to take ownership of it. It's not me to take ownership of things. And if I can find a way of actually helping people take ownership, and it's all about who takes ownership of, of their own lives. And my part really is not about me being there. And my part is really helping other people take ownership of, of what's happening around them. Well, that's brilliant, Renee. It's been, and I'm so glad that, that you've given me the time to talk to you today because uh-huh. I know that you haven't been keeping well recently. Uh huh, yes. Despite health issues that you've had, um, 
and going through treatment and everything, your spirit is undimmed. You're... Yes. Well, basically, I can't get out of the house just now, so I'm just rattling on here. Oh, I've, been, I've been locked. I've been locked up really since last March um, at home. Apart from, I've got to go out for. I haven't been well, as, as you said, and um, I've got to go out for chemotherapy every now and again. So that's my day out. It's, it's great. I've been driven across from Torrey to the hospital in an ambulance and taking my camera with me. <laughs> my camera with me. Well, listen, um, this interview has been relatively yeah. short because um, uh -huh. it is for International Women's Day and we've got so many different ones to fit in. But I hope that there, there are, I feel we've just scratched the surface of your challenge and your activism. And I hope that in the future, we'll get you back on to do a longer interview and we'll hear more about the... Thank you so very much for inviting me anyway. It's been an absolute pleasure. Is there anything else you'd like to say, a message for our listeners before before we stop? Is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't covered? Well, one is, I suppose one thing uh, is to get, uh, let's stop all this argument amongst ourselves and get independence done. Because if we don't, Let's forget about all these background issues. Get our, get our, uh, uh, get what we want, which is independence. I think it's an important thing from my point of view. Let's sort everything out afterwards. We know what you need, and, what, and we've got to get it done. I think independence is part of that ordinary people's voice as well. I share your feeling that independence for Scotland has to be at the moment the the top priority. Uh -huh, yes. Vinny, and can I thank you again? It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Hello. And thank you very much for inviting me. So I'm here today with Rahana Abid, and Rahana is the former president and current outreach secretary of the Ahmadiyya Women's Community Association, which is known as Lajna, and they are based in the Ahmadiyya Mosque in York Hill. And, I'm del and Rihanna is now retired after a career as a pharmacist, but she is very, very busy. So hello, Rihanna. Welcome. Hello, Valerie. Thank you, Valerie, for inviting me to speak on your programme. Well, I'm so delighted that you have accepted our invitation to speak on our International Women's Day special. Um, so how, why don't we start off, um, Rahana, uh, maybe you'd like to tell our listeners about Lajna, which is the Ahmadiyya Women's Community. And I've been at quite a few of your events over the years, and they're always brilliant. And would you like to tell um, our listeners a bit about um, the kind of work that your Women's Association does in the community? Yes, um, okay, I'll try. And thank you. Yes, you, you do come to our events and thank you for doing that and supporting us. Um, <clears throat> the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Community is also known as Lajna Imaila, um, as you've said, and that literally means maids of Allah or God. Um, so we are an auxiliary organization of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community was founded by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, or the promised Messiah, peace be on him, in 1889 in, in a small town in India called Qadian. So this was uh, 132 years ago. 
And we believe he came for the peaceful revival of the true teachings of Islam as prophesied by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace and blessings of God be upon him. Promised Messiah has been succeeded by caliphs or spiritual leaders. The community is presently led by His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad, who is the fifth caliph or successor, and he is presently um, living in England. The community is now established in over 200 countries in the world. The Lajna Imaila was established in 1922 by the second Khalifa or caliph. He wanted to empower women. One of the main purpose of the Lajna was to enhance and promote religious and secular education of the Ahmadi women so that women realize their true potential and also to raise awareness of women's important status and great responsibilities as well and um, her role in training the next generation. And through their actions and initiatives, the Lajna, we try our best to reach out to communities and to promote peace. Like helping others and giving charity is like a fundamental part of the Islamic faith. We therefore feel it is our duty to serve humanity. Next year, we will be, it will be 100 years since Lajna Imaila was formed. And uh, for part of these celebrations, we are fundraising for a maternity hospital. In Sierra Leone, uh, women don't have access to basic maternity facilities. And so um, this results in death and disease during childbirth. Here in the UK, there are more than uh, 12,000 Lajna. And uh, in Glasgow and the surrounding areas, there's around uh, 160. Internally, we focus on educating our members and children. Some of the things we do is uh, like promoting health and well-being, including even addressing like mental health um, problems, which nowadays is, is quite a lot. Really much. Um, yeah. yeah, and so um, we also like do things like um, uh, sports activities and handicrafts and many other things. Well, we're always busy anyhow. <laughs> Yeah, with that, um, <laughs> you said to me, "Thank you for supporting us." But I can tell you, it's not. Um, it's a pleasure to come to your events. I don't come out a sense of helping you. I enjoy them so much. They're absolutely great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So yeah, we've held some events to try to unite women as well, and and like from different faiths and backgrounds, and we try to build like a strong bond between each other and friendship. Um, which we think is very important. Yeah. Um, when any event I've been to, you know, even though some of the women there, I maybe hadn't seen them for since a previous event, they always like, hello, hello, and it's very warm and welcoming, and it, it was just mm -hmm. a lovely atmosphere. And and mm -hmm. I know that That's you raise right. an enormous amount of money. Um, one of the events I'm thinking on is the Macmillan event, the coffee morning. You you raise thousands of pounds for the Macmillan charity, don't you? Every year. Yeah, that's right. Um, we've started uh, organizing like Macmillan um, coffee mornings, uh, and and people say to us like yourself, you know, when's the next one going to be? <laughs> um, so in, in 2019 was the last proper one we had, and we raised uh, 2,100 pounds, 
and la- and you know it was a lot of fun as well i think you know like uh, being together and eating the delicious cakes that the <laughs> women you know they <laughs> yeah last year we just opened a just giving page you know because we couldn't really do anything you know because of the covid situation but we still raised we, we raised over 1200 pounds so that was, you know, amazing. That was so yeah. you've got another event coming up soon um for international women's day um and it's on sunday would you like to tell the listeners a bit about the event you're organizing this sunday yes yes of course it's on women the status the the rights and the role and it's on as you say sunday the 7th of march it's an interfaith event for women of different faiths and backgrounds. So we aim and hope to build strong bonds of friendship and share common values and uh, pr- promote peace and harmony between us. And I don't know if you're aware or not about our motto. It's love for all and hatred for none. You know, um, just as you were saying that, Rahana, that came through my mind. You, it was actually right in my mind when you mentioned it, because I, I was going to say, you know, I think it's a wonderful motto. Do you want to say it again, just to emphasize uh, for our listeners? <laughs> Love for all, hatred for none. We try to uphold that. that I think you know, you, it's the cornerstone of your, of your, that's the, the cornerstone yeah. of your faith, really, one of the, the main tenets. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a wonderful motto. So, and, so this event will be online this year? Yes, we're going to do it on Zoom. Um, and we found that, you know, the Islamic teachings regarding women, it's, you know, perhaps the most misunderstood there's so many misconceptions about women in Islam. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to dispel and address these. Muslim women are portrayed as weak, oppressed, few rights, no status, little freedom. You know, this is all, you know, how we're portrayed. But this is far from the truth. With the advent of Islam in the seventh century, women were given freedom, rights, and a high status. Um, and there was clear guidance in the Holy Quran and and the Holy Prophet, peace beyond him um, about the treatment of women Um, like men and women were given equal status and equal spiritual rights Um, some of these rights were the right you know which we didn't have any rights before um, the advent of Islam the the right to be educated to choose your own husband the right to divorce as well and uh, you know even owning your own property and inheritance as well. It was all given at that time. Um, so Islam gave women respect, honor, and dignity as well in all this, this respective roles. And some of these um, things that you mention came very, very late to women in the Western world, really, didn't they? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, I mean, some people might be really surprised that um was only about in the last 150 years that these uh, rights were given to women in the Western world, you know, so in the Western countries. It's interesting because the theme of this year's International Women's Day is Choose to Challenge. So part of what your organisation does is you challenge these misconceptions about about Muslim women and the role of women in Islam then. Yes, yeah, we're trying to, because I think we've been, we've been portrayed as, you know, um, being oppressed. So we're trying to, yes, to educate, yeah, and uh, um, we, we have previously done, like, library exhibitions, 
and we've done other um, events, you know, to try and allow all these, yes, yeah. I saw mm-hmm. your exhibition. It was really interesting. I saw it up in Mary Hill, um, up in the, the Mary Hill. Okay, library. yeah. Mm-hmm. We've done it in a few libraries, but now the thing that we've been able to do, um, I don't know if you've been to, uh, you know, we, we, we walk in the 5K charity walk. We have annual... 5k charity walk and you know that's we raise money for the children's one of the things that you know because of um not not even even before lockdown um we started to cook hot meals for the homeless um the women yeah and we've actually continued to do that right up till today on a regular basis like sometimes once a week or sometimes even twice a week and so we're cooking hot meals you like our curries <laughs> Curries and that, and I bet um, they go down well. I bet you they'll be well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we we really find that you know this is you know, that we're getting so much blessings from doing that, and the women, you know, they really enjoy doing it. It's different women every time, but you know they really enjoy doing, uh, and it gives so much you know um, pleasure. Yeah, to, to do that, be able to um, do something for somebody else. But it's, yeah, it's, I know that. As you say, Lajna does so much good work and um, I'm glad that uh, you're here today to tell us about it and just to let folk know, um, although I think some folk will know already, but it's good to let folk know a bit about what's going on in different parts of the community. So I'm really looking forward to your event on Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. This <laughs> programme if people are listening to this on Catch Up, it may the event may have already happened because this program is going to go out on Friday, but also on the Monday on the actual International Women's Day. So um, it just depends okay. who people listen. <laughs> so Rihanna, yeah. um, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Is there anything else that you would like to say that we haven't covered that I haven't given you time to talk about? before we say goodbye yeah I think you know thank you very much for for having me on the program and uh, yeah it's been a pleasure for us as well that uh, you know you have invited us and uh, yeah um, I think that's about all Um, you know I hope you know if anybody wants to take part in our event as well just to to let us know okay Uh, and how would they do that would they go on maybe on social media to find a link or would that be the best way to do it to um, attend the event on Sunday if they contacted Indela if somebody's listened to this on Friday and they'd like to attend your event online they could contact Indie Live Radio through their Twitter page or their Facebook and I could pick that up and I'll, I'll sort it out I could I could That's be the, so the link to you. They could do it through the radio station, either okay. through Twitter or Facebook. So if anyone's yeah. listening, get in touch with IndieLive.radio, in particular to me, Valerie Gold, and I'll put you in touch with Lajna and with Rahana. Okay, so Rahana, thank you very much indeed, and I wish you a happy International Women's Day. I'm sure your event on Sunday will be a great success. Very much looking forward to zooming in to attend, and uh, I hope that one of these days, before too long, we'll all be able to meet in real life again. Yes, uh, yes, hopefully very soon. <laughs> thank you very much, uh, Valerie. Thank it's you. my pleasure. It's, thank you, Rahana. Thank you very much indeed.
This is Marlene again. I'm now in another Zoom call, and this time I'm sitting with Ruth Wishart. Ruth's a, a very well-known and respected freelance columnist and, and broadcaster uh, here, well, here in Scotland, but um, uh, and elsewhere in the UK. You're pretty active on Twitter too, Ruth. Um, so when you got an email from us asking if you'd like to contribute to this programme celebrating International Women's Day, what kind of things come to mind? Well, obviously I've seen a lot of International Women's Days and um, I think I'm a bit confused as to which wave of feminism I'm supposed to be currently riding, but I've been on the crest of a few of these as well. Um, when I was in my 20s, I was marching up and down the street in Glasgow under a Women in Media banner for International Women's Day. I've had the privilege of speaking in the Scottish Parliament on International Women's Day. And I've always thought it was really important, not just because of the rights and aspirations of women in Scotland and in the UK, but in women worldwide, because yeah. although we've got a lot of challenges here, um, we've got fewer challenges than some of our sisters elsewhere in the globe. Yes. I mean, it's interesting having that sort of longer term perspective. When we started doing these interviews, um, I, you know, I sort of looked up International Women's Day. In my mind, it was it was probably something that would have got started in, I don't know, 1970s or something, I thought. But actually, it started in 1911. Um, and I, I thought, wow. Now, not necessarily, not exactly the same thing, but obviously that um, was at the same time when the suffragettes were were actively kind of working on women's votes. So it's got a a very long, well, 110 years now, um, you know, kind of uh, heritage of it. Uh, in some ways, we end up we, we we're still talking about some of the things we talked about in the 70s. We're still talking about equal, you know, equal pay, the rest of it. Do you optimistic about the direction of travel? or? Well, there's two things here. I mean, one is that you're quite right. We're still talking about a lot of the same things as we were talking about uh, all these years ago. Um, we're, we're still talking about equal pay. We're still talking about the lack of affordable childcare. We're still talking about so many things that really haven't uh, altered as much as we would have liked, although progress has been made on some of these fronts. The second thing I would say, though, is that there's there's new challenges which have arisen for women, especially women in war zones, where they're being used as um, really as weapons of wars, and and where women are facing all kinds of appall of appalling situations in terms of of rape and torture and kidnapping, etc. All the kind of things that are happily alien to us, but nevertheless about which we must be very conscious and and on whose behalf we still have to fight. Yes. Yeah, and uh, I mean, one of the things that, that um, maybe there has been a lot of progress on is uh, education for women. So I'm not thinking so much here in, in the UK and, and in Scotland, but worldwide, because of one thing, once women start to have a access and use a, an education, that actually has an effect on the whole society, does it? It has lots of knock-on effects when you've got a, an educated woman in your country. Yeah, not just education, but also investment in women. I mean, you know, the, the, um, these micro loans that are now quite yeah. commonplace in various third world or developing world countries. Um, and it's always because um, the people who orchestrate them say that if you invest in, in a woman, you invest in a village. 
Whereas if you invest in a man, it tends to be much more of an individual investment. So I think that's absolutely true. And I think it's why both education uh, and investment in women is, is absolutely crucial. But as we saw from the tragic case of Malala and, uh-huh. and, and what's happening just now in Afghanistan, it's far from a done deal that women have ready access to education. Yes, that's true. And that's, a, that's another thing that I've noticed comes with, uh, with age. I mean, I can look back to a certain kind of stage in life and, and, and realise now that I had an underlying assumption that everything would always carry on going forward in a positive direction. But then something happens and you go, oh, well, that wasn't as permanent as I had assumed. I mean, the first time I ever thought that was when Mrs Thatcher was in power. <laughs> so that's going back quite a long way. But, it, but it, again, isn't it? It's kind of like not taking things for granted. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's important that we never get complacent about yeah. the gains we make, even if the gains seem to be larger than incremental. We mustn't ever assume that because we've achieved X that that X plus one is going to be the next step along the way because quite often, depending on 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 the leadership, um, quite often there are reverses just as often as there are uh, incremental increases in in women's well-being and and women's abilities to fulfil their potential. Um, Mrs. Thatcher is an interesting case in point because when she was. Um, appointed when she was elected, I suppose a number of us thought that even if she wasn't of our tribe, as it were, there was a woman in power in the top job. And of course, you took a certain amount of vicarious pleasure in that, but that quickly dissipated um, when we discovered that he was a woman who wasn't interested in other women, basically. And she might have got up the ladder, but she was going to be sure to kick it down afterwards. Yes, that's right. That, that, That famous photograph comes to mind of her and her cabinet, 20, 30 men, maybe... She's yeah. sitting in the middle of the front row. Also, if you remember, um, um, which is coming back now, Spitting Image, but you remember in Spitting Image, she was always um, characterised as a woman in a pinstripe suit looking yes. ferocious. And that was because she didn't she didn't become a woman prime minister. She became a prime minister who happened to be a woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm actually, I suppose it's with age again. I can some, sometimes be a bit feel a bit of sympathy to Margaret Thatcher because that must have been a really really difficult position. You know, to get yourself into that position and then and then to have to kind of deal with I'm sure all the kind of sideswiping that came at her. Anyway, maybe we should stop talking about Margaret Thatcher. Good idea. What What do you think of the situation in in uh, in, in Scotland going forward? Um, as regards, you know, women, say women's representation, politics, but other areas of life. Well, uh, as at the time of speaking, of course, we have a, a woman in the in the top job in Scotland, and um, I think, um, you know, those people who are either for or against um, Nicola Sturgeon would have difficulty in denying that she was a very accomplished woman who had earned her right to to that that job. But it's also been interesting for me to see a lot of younger women uh, make progress in the Scottish Parliament. Um, You know, in Kate Forbes, we've got a a superbly confident young uh, finance minister, and, and that became finance secretary, and that became apparent when she got the job with two minutes to spare before the budget. And yeah. I thought she handled herself that first budget absolutely brilliantly. Yeah. Um, you know, considering that she went from a standing start, uh, I thought she was terrific. We've got, you know, a woman uh, like Marie Todd looking after children and young people. Um, I think um, 
my personal uh, feeling is that she could get a bigger job. She mm. should get a bigger job. But mm. we've got quite a lot of, um, and of course, and of course, Health Secretary Jean Freeman. I mean, I personally hate to think what would have happened during the pandemic if there'd been somebody less accomplished in that in that portfolio. Yes, yes, indeed. The the, the other thing that that's happening, sort of, to counter that a little bit, is that some of the younger women who are MSPs are standing down at this Holyrood election. I mean, actually, there's a lot of people standing down anyway, um, but who are older, older people, well, Jane Freeman's standing down, isn't she? But uh, there's some w younger women standing down, and that seems to be around the issue of keeping that job going while you've, while you want to have a family, you've got a youngish family, you yeah. want, you want to keep, uh, keep it. Yeah. I think the I mean, in a strange kind of way, I think COVID might um, help to change that. I mean, people have now got used to um, uh, both working remotely as parliamentarians, both in in Holyrood and in the in the House of Commons. They've got used to not only working remotely but um, to voting remotely, which didn't used to be allowed. Yeah. And I think. Uh, if COVID has proved anything, it's proved that it's possible for even people in positions of uh, political sensitivity to be able to work from their home base. And I think we must work harder at making, I mean, Hollywood was set up to be family friendly with family friendly hours, but it's not very family friendly if you're um, sitting for an, for the sake of argument, a, a northeast or northwest of Scotland seat, and you've got a young family, and you've yeah. got to commute to Edinburgh and back and be away for, for at least three days, uh, possibly more during the week. That that's not family friendly and I think we have to address that and take that very seriously if we want to encourage women of childbearing yeah, age yeah. into the chamber. Yeah, yeah. I mean I mean it's not very good for the for men who are there with younger families actually to kind of be fair, but they, they tend to be a little bit back from the coal face, as it were, when it comes to looking after the kids, don't they? I don't think we've reached fifty fifty in childcare. No. no, we definitely haven't. We definitely haven't. And we haven't reached fifty fifty in uh, Holyrood either, although I think it's forty percent. So yeah, that's better than a lot of places. Probably better, it's than... better than a lot of places. Could be better. I mean could I have a firm view that um I have a firm view that everything in public life, um, whether it's parliament or whether it's business, should be reflective of the society in which it operates and fifty two percent of our society is female. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, so fifty two forty eight, that's what we're aiming for then. That'll do. That'll do. <laughs> and just before we finish, uh, Ruth, have you have you got any you know, have you got any things that come to mind that you'd like to see being taken forward in Scotland to help um positioner women or, 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 or women more widely than that as well, you know, in the world. Have you got anything that well, I, it's very difficult, I think, for women to achieve um, equal representation in in all walks of life at the moment, and it's very difficult for them to achieve promotion. And um, I, I mean, the situation's better now, but it always struck me as odd that um, in primary schools, for instance, um, there was a huge preponderance of female teachers, but but there was always a, a male head teacher. Now that's, yeah. that's changing and getting an awful lot better now and in fact in my local school which is just along the road uh, the head teacher is female and indeed in the next village so it is changing but it's changing too slowly in my view and and also uh, somebody made the very funny point the other day that there were more men called Dave as CEOs of in FTSE companies than there were women <laughs> which I think we have made much greater strides in medicine yes I mean um, I remember you know um female gynecologists for instance strangely of all things and female surgeons and all kinds of things being uh, being in the hen's teeth category but that's you know 
nowadays <laughs> we've you know uh, almost all the medical faculties have got a preponderance of women in them and I think that's very healthy yeah 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 so you're optimistic looking ahead I'm very very heartened by the number of feisty young women that are coming up now I think um I think we've got a lot of I've got a lot of faith in the next generation basically yeah well, I think that's maybe a good place to stop, uh, Ruth, with uh, yeah, our hopes for the next generation of feisty young women. Great. Thank you so much for coming and doing this. My pleasure. So we're now coming to the end of the second edition in a short series of special shows to mark International Women's Day 2021. We hope you've enjoyed the interviews today. You've heard from Bridge Smith, Caelan McMahon, Vivian Martin, Rahana Abid, Renee Slater and Ruth Wishart. We hope you'll tune in again on Monday. We have two shows for you on Monday. The first one between 11am and 1pm featuring Sheena Wellington, Leslie Riddich, Tina Yu, Anamisha McCoy, Jean Anderson and Eileen Budd. And at three o'clock, our final show with Kirsty Hughes, Michelle Thompson, Dr. Nigget Riaz, Lynn Copeland, Heather Anderson and Jules Bell. We'd like to also mention that it's not just sisters, that we have had a huge amount of help and guidance to keep us on the right track from Steve Callahan and Jerry Mulvena and also from Fiona McGregor too, who've all been extremely helpful in helping us put this series of programmes together. Um, obviously, we want to thank all the fantastic women that have contributed as well. So hopefully you will tune in again on Monday and listen to a bit more from all these great women on International Women's Day 2021, March the 8th. See you on Monday.